0: it's the shaggy lola salami show and i'm shaggy lola salami um if it's your first time listening to the show i'm shaggy lola salami like i said i'm an author lifestyle blogger i am a mom drinker of hot chocolate lover of sun (laughs) um the shaggy lola salami show is a podcast show obviously it's set in a virtual cafe it's about books and publishing but not necessarily the way you might imagine. We have guests come on the show who are authors and they talk about the writing process and how they get their books to your your bookshelves, or non-authors who talk about the books that they like or their specialty and make book recommendations, right? So, it is a virtual cafe. I've just got a drink of water because for the first time in ages, it is sunny in London, right? And I'm just really thirsty. But anyways, it's a virtual cafe. So, let's see who we've got here. So, who have I got here with me in the virtual cafe?
1: Good afternoon, Shadrullah. This is Ahmed Rashid. Hello. Um, um, Hi. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Thanks. Yourself?
1: I'm doing peachy. I'm doing peachy. A little nervous about, my, uh, about the podcast here, but uh, I'm, I'm very happy to be here and uh, very pleased to meet you.
0: Pleased to meet you. So you were going to tell us about yourself and then I rudely interrupted you. Sorry.
1: That's okay. Uh, so let's see. How does my spiel usually begin? Uh, my name is Ahmed Rashad. I was born in Egypt, raised in Maryland, and I moved to Boston uh, about 15 years ago. I work as a software engineer. But my life's passion, what I do for a living, is I uh, teach people about Islam and I host a lot of interfaith events, you know, trying to strive for greater harmony and understanding as well as social justice in our communities.
0: Interesting, interesting. Well, I would love to hear more about that. Um, but you know, it is a virtual cafe um, and I'm having nice ice cold water because it's hot. Um, so what would you like to have? What's the, temper- what's the weather like in Boston?
1: So in Boston, it is definitely not hot. We had a few days of nice weather, but now it's turned cold again. There's an old joke up here that says that winter never lets go of Boston easily. <laughs> New England, uh, almost always, it's a fight to get out of the cold weather. So we had some very nice weather last week, like in the, uh, you know, maybe in the. Let's see. I have to convert from Fahrenheit to Celsius. Like in the high 20s, uh, but now we're back down in the teens, in the uh, 15, 16 degrees, uh, 12 degrees Celsius right now. So I'm actually going to have a hot Black, dark roast coffee with extra sugar.
0: Fabulous. Well, my cafe can deliver anything you can imagine virtually. Um, What would you like with your dark roast uh, coffee?
1: If you have any of those famous British scones, I uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, I usually like to have a little bit of pastry with my coffee.
0: Perfect, right? So we would do it with clotted cream and jam. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. Okay, cool. Like I could literally have a whole podcast episode chatting about, you know, cream teas and scones. And I don't know why, but some people call it scones and some people call it scones. And I don't know, I just call it scones. So we're gonna go with that.
1: Very good. Very good. <laughs>
0: so yeah, so tell me, you said you were quite passionate about um Islam. So how did you develop that passion? Was it from your parents?
1: No, actually I, I was kind of the odd one out. My parents were very much um I mean, they, they, had, they were cultural Muslims, so they had, uh, um, you know, we, would, we went to prayer on Fridays, we would fast during Ramadan, but for the most part, you know, when they immigrated to the United States um, with me in tow, uh, they were trying to live the American dream, uh, just try to move ahead. I didn't start getting serious about my faith until uh, my parents went through a divorce, that was very difficult for me. I was about eight years old when they started getting divorced, and I was 11 years old when they finished getting divorced. It was um, kind of messy, and um, I really did a lot of soul-searching um, during, the, during that time. And then, you know, I started getting a little more, you know, reading more about my faith, kind of in doing a soul-searching process of my own, you know, what do I really believe? You know, I started questioning everything that my parents had taught me. And at the end, I, I did decide that, or I came to the conclusion on my own that, that Islam is the, the faith for me. And so I started little by little, you know, reading more, practicing more, you know, trying to be more observant. So that, that's, what, uh, that's what I was doing there. Uh, however, what my passion for teaching Islam, uh, actually, I have an interesting, maybe a little bit of a tragic story about that, if you have the time for this. I didn't okay. actually get serious about, uh, you know, teaching Islam or, or, or learning about it and trying to be an advocate uh, for my faith and also more into social justice until September 11, 2001. Wow. So I was in graduate school at that time. I was on the Speakers Bureau. Um, I was in the Muslim Students Association. So it's called the MSA in America. It's like a, basically a faith club that uh, many colleges have. And so I was on that uh, in that club. And on that day, um, obviously those terrible events happened. And the dean of the school of that, I was at Bryn Mawr College, in Pennsylvania at the time, basically they stopped all the classes at around, uh, 1030, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, everything was canceled. The, the, the cafe and the student center, you know, they, they offered like free cookies and coffee and things to people. Basically that was a day that history stopped for us. And what they did is they went ahead and set up a podium and, and, uh, like a big uh, table in the, uh, in the campus, uh, common area so in Pennsylvania, it's not like Boston or New England. Um, even though it was, you know, September, it was very warm. So they just kind of decked everything out, put put out a bunch of blankets and things on and tarps on the on the on the grassy lawn there, and people just started sitting down and they had, you know, a conversation. There was the dean of the school, the chairman of the religious studies department, the chairwoman of the political science department, and the chairwoman of the uh, history department, kind of all sitting there and and you know offering a forum for the students to uh, to kind of you know, share their their thoughts and, and their prayers. Uh, a lot of us being in Pennsylvania, we did have family in, in, in New York. And so there was a very, you know, very tense emotional time for, for the students there. My own sister at the time, she did in fact work in Manhattan. We didn't get in touch with her until two or 3 PM that day. Uh, so that was also a little stressful for us. So that's the setup of, of the scene there is that we have the Dean, Three, uh, three, you know, uh, college professors sitting trying to have a conversation with people. And then one young lady, I remember she stood up and, uh, you know, she approached the microphone and she talked about how angry she was and how she would like to, you know, you know, there was already speculation at this time that this was a terrorist attack and that the perpetrators were Muslim. And she said a few words about how she would like to find, you know, the, the people who did this and their and their relatives and any other Muslim that she could find and just kill them. So there was kind of like an awkward silence from the professors, and that's when I raised my hand and I asked the dean, could I respond to the lady, please? So I was a graduate student, most of them were undergrads, and so I stood up and I made a little speech about you know, due process of law and how we don't know who did this and whoever did this, no religion would condone such an act. It is a cowardly act, it is a heinous act, it is an act, it's an evil act. And whatever faith tradition we have, the whole point of the faith is to enjoy what is good and to try to avoid what is evil or harmful. And I, and I kind of capstoned with that, that, you know, you know, we pray for the, 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 the victims, we pray for the victims' families, but we must not let our emotions stand in the way of justice. And it is not just to, you know, do guilt by association. Even if it turns out that there are Muslims who did this, that does not mean that, I condone this act or any of my fellow Muslims here condone it or any of our mosques or the rest of the world Muslim community. So that was kind of my, my statement. And ever since then I've been getting requests to talk about Islam. Um, Basically uh, there were a few, you know, interfaith events that happened on campus later that month. And then the next month after that and the rest of the year, and because I was already a member of the MSA and I was already kind of on the speakers bureau um, I just started getting more and more requests and that's kind of as they say, how it all started.
0: That was very interesting. And I think it was quite brave of you, you know, to have just stood up and, you know, giving your, you know, your speech and sort of, you know, going for justice that, you know, uh, what's it called, guilt by association, you know, was not the right thing. So it's been quite an interesting journey um, for you. So since then, apart from the um, speaking opportunities that you've had, What else have you been doing?
1: So uh, for the most part, uh, when I was in Pennsylvania, uh, there were a few, uh, how can I put it? There were a few um, uh, church visits that I did. I went to a few schools, you know, basically just kind of being the, you know, the kind of Muslim on tap where I would just kind of go up, introduce myself like I just did, and then say, you know, I know that there are a lot of questions, a lot of fears, Maybe a lot of anger and misconceptions about Islam, you know what does Islam teach? What do Muslims actually believe? And so you know I would always open up my my engagements uh, to ask people you know what what is it that you would like to know you know what what issues uh, do you have or 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 what uh, what questions do you have and And that's kind of what I was doing for most of that time. you know I was um, you know the public relations officer at the mSA mm. so I, I I visited churches, I visited temples and schools. Um, you know, so Jewish and, and Christian outreach, as well as just being a, uh, you know, a resource when I went to an elementary school or a middle school or a high school. And basically I, I always tried to keep things informal as I, as I tried to study more and more, um, because I, there was a, you know, there's a scholar in, in, in Villanova, uh, that, um. Uh, uh, his name was Dr. Mustafa Ahmed. You know, he had he ran a, a, a an institute called the Foundation for Islamic Education, which was kind of like a um, not exactly a seminary, but he would offer courses. You know, for like graduate level Islamic studies, and so I would I would go to those things, and I, I always felt that there was a big disconnect between the students who were trying to learn these things and the the way that the professors would be teaching it, and and just. Kind of breaking it down to the common man, the common person, or even the, the regular, you know, the common Muslim who doesn't have the time, you know, to go into the the books and, and do these kind of theological and seminary type studies. Hmm. And so I always try to break things down and make things easier for people to understand and also, you know, give an insight to the political realities in the Middle East and what is it that's kind of generating all these grievances and all this anger. And I, I always end up coming back to the same point in that, you know, religion is used as a justification or a, a catalyst. Uh, not for its own sake, but to address the political or economic or sometimes even social uh, injustices that the people there are feeling. So, you know, a person is, you know, he's trying to be patient. He's trying to do this. There are communities which feel like they, you know, they're not getting their fair shake, that they're not being dealt with justice. And that's where I started doing more interfaith social activism, where I realized that the root cause of this kind of anger and these kinds of, 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 heinous acts it all stems from basically someone being dehumanized mm-hmm. and so that in turn causes them to act inhumanely you know uh, that 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 when you strip the dignity of a human being from him he does or she does become like an animal they will lash out they will you know they will they will they will not uh they will not be be, be they will act with anything that you could imagine to be disgusting and bad and, and whatever. And it all comes down to you know, if you don't address the human dignity that has been, that has been insulted or that has been uh, hurt, if that emotional wound, if that spiritual wound is not addressed, then it will fester and there will be you know, very evil thoughts and actions that comes after that. So yeah. that's kind of what I've been doing um, you know, so, you know, during my three years of graduate study and then I came to Boston uh, back to back in 2004, and I started basically, you know, volunteering at various mosques. And I found that there was a lot of desire for people to learn about Islam in a way that's not preachy. And that's kind of what my angle has always been. Uh, you know, many of the Muslim speakers that I talk to, they're very good at speaking to other Muslims and, you know, you know kind of giving a sermon about what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. But there wasn't really, a, you know, that was kind of the niche that I filled. There wasn't really anyone who could just explain Islam to people kind of setting the record straight you know whether you accept or not accept that's not my point my point is you know at least understand what the actual teachings are and then you can decide for yourself whether it's right for you or not but there was so much negative media so much misinformation so many just false concepts about you know you know what does our book teach what do Muslims actually believe and 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 that that ignorance uh you know led to fear and that fear of course leads to hatred and and and, and animosity and so i kind of filled in that niche of just you know, I started doing an Islam one-on-one class. Like this is what Islam teaches. And what I always used to build, um, is that, you know, I'm not trying to sell you Islam. I'm just selling you accurate information about Islam. And that's kind of the class that I started back in 2009. Um, I was, um, and, uh, I would been the head instructor there. I got two or three other teachers now that, that have been trained under me. <clears throat> and so they, they've kind of gone back to their mosques and, and, and keeping the class going just really just being a, a, a kind of a, uh, you know, learn straight from the source what Islam teaches without any pressure to accept or not accept. But the idea is just, look, here is what most Muslims, the mainstream, moderate Muslims believe, practice, and try to, you know, uphold. And that's that's all we care about is that we just want, you know, we just want you to know what is it, not whether, you know, it's correct or not or anything like that.
0: Yeah. So
1: that's uh, that's kind of what I've been doing uh, ever since, just having the class I've also been trying to, you know, increase my own um, education, mm-hmm. uh, you know, taking online classes as well as going to various scholars, uh, Suheib Webb in Boston, uh, Safi Khan down in Maryland, and just trying. And I'm working on a master's thesis right now, uh, interfaith social activism. So we did a lot of interfaith work with uh, uh, two different synagogues in Cambridge, uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as well as uh, three different churches in Cambridge, Boston, and um, what's that word Brookline, so again, all were all around social activism you know we're doing food pantries, going to the, the a woman's shelter and trying to help around there. We went to a, a senior center and you know uh, did some activities with the with the elderly that are there uh, with these other uh, you know with the other churches and the other uh, synagogues. The idea being that you know we can do social good. We can pro- give back to our community and that crosses any religious divides, you know, and I found that the most of the uh, the really powerful and like soul inspiring activity work that I have done has been in these interfaiths where we can, you know, we're helping the homeless, we're feeding the poor, uh, where we're distributing, you know, food to the the, the needy families around Boston. Um, and, and we're doing this together, you know, all of our faiths, you know, kind of, instructs us to take care of our neighbors and this is one way that we can actually you know achieve that
0: oh good so whilst you're saying all this in my mind i'm thinking you know what you've done so much work you should be an author
1: and that's what happened around 2014 2014 uh, my younger brother he um he he's kind of an a serial entrepreneur although now he's he's kind of cleaned up his bachelor life and now has a steady job. But back in those days, he was working as a book publisher where he'd help people kind of publish their stories. He was more of like, his niche was like memoirs and kind of like family legacy uh, preservation where he would help people make their scrapbooks, maybe write down the memories of their grandparents, you know, that kind of a thing. And yeah. so he approached me saying, hey, would you like to write a book, Ahmed? I was like, no, I'm not into that. He's like, no, no, no. You have all this information. You have all of you know all of this knowledge you've been teaching. This for so many times, you know, it, you should, you know, pass on your work to others. Like, well, I did that. You know, I have many classes at the mosque. We've done training for people who want to be speakers um, or, or you know, public speakers or, or even um, instructors at these kinds of classes. So, you know, I have these notes. It's done. He said, no, but you should do a book for, like, other people as well. So... He finally convinced me. So in 2015, um, I hired him <laughs> to, uh, to, to, to write my first book. Uh, basically, what I did is I said, look, I've been, I've been working um, at, uh, as a volunteer for a whyislam.org, a, uh, which is a, a website based out of New Jersey in, in the in, in United States. They Basically, they do kind of the same thing. They just kind of give information about Islam. And so one of the things that I was doing is I was being their correspondent. That's since 2010. Correspondent means that people come to their website, they ask for more information, and they, they ask for like a one-on-one email conversation. And then the dispatcher would assign me to various people, right? And so I had this whole repository of email conversations between me and some of these other people who would come to the to the website and say, I'd like to start a conversation about women's issues or, you know, jihad or, you know, political uh, theory in Islam. Or, you know, why do you guys pray? Or what do you guys think about Jesus? Or what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? and. I started picking up um, some of the more negative comments. So because I was, I, I've always tried to keep emotionally detached in my responses. You know, I am yeah. passionate about teaching, but uh, what my dispatcher noticed is I was one of the few people on his volunteer team who was comfortable answering hate mail, because since September 11, that's kind of what I've been doing. Yeah. So I was very comfort- comfortable. Saying, I understand your frustration. I understand your anger. But let me show you our side of the story and explain things and 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 you know how these acts are not condoned by my faith, our faith. Uh, but here's why people are so angry, and here's where this this anger in the Muslim world is coming from. And sometimes it works. Sometimes you know people come around and they kind of understand the human side of of, of us. And sometimes it doesn't. Uh, and that's kind of where you know where I got the the the, the matter. Where I got basically the content of my books is that it's it's a it's a series of conversations, back and forth email conversations between me and different correspondents. And as I mentioned on my website, you know, I get all sorts of people. I get the people who are like interested in becoming Muslims; they want more information. I get those who are really hostile and they think that we're the you know the third plague uh, of, <laughs> of the universe. And we got people in between: those who are concerned, those who are curious, those who are doing like a, you know a project for school, or, or those who want to get to know their neighbors better, that kind of a thing. And so. I said, you know, this is actually kind of, this is a a nice niche to be in. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of books that, uh, you know, will explain Islam or criticize it or teach it, you know, from a, like a, a a missionary point of view. But what about just plain old fashioned conversations? You know, people asking straight old questions and getting honest answers, you know, that something, you know, information that goes behind the headlines, right. You know, that they're, you know, we have academic people, hostile people, concerned people, soul-searching people. You know, the focus of this, these books is reaching people who might not know or have talked to a Muslim. And yes. offering no, a
0: always. Sorry, I was just going to ask. Um, you said all these things, but you've not said what the name of your book is.
1: Oh, the name of the book is, What Would a Muslim Say?
0: Where is it available?
1: It's available pretty much everywhere it's available on barnes and nobles it's available on amazon it's available in the apple store and it's available on kobo yep. so you can it's available both as a digital ebook as well as a paperback book
0: fabulous see now i'm quite curious though you said your brother you know he helped you um you know
1: publish your book right the first one yes after that he kind of he, he, you know, he sees something shiny. He moves on to something else. And so I did the rest of them myself. <laughs> okay.
0: So did he help you self-publish the first one? Um, and then have you self-published the second one or the subsequent ones? Or yes. did you go with that is the correct.
1: Author? Yes. So he helped me publish the first one. Uh, so he basically was my editor as well as my cover designer, as well as the one who set up my, the whole Amazon, uh, um, you know, the, the, the paperback book. And then after that, you know, I, I decided to do an ebook, but I did that one on my own because he'd already moved off by then so he helped me publish the the paperback book uh, he edited it basically I, I i forwarded him all those emails i said here you take this and you format it you know make it look nice
0: yeah
1: uh so that was that was primary that was most of i would say 80% of his fees or 80% of the the money that i paid my my younger brother not just to help him out but you know because this work needed to be done was that kind of content editing you know of yeah. taking uh, taking these these Congregant of, of conversations and putting them into something that would be interesting to read. Yeah. Uh, a few months later, um, I got a bit of feedback from various, um, you know, beta readers as well as um, you know, people who are my close friends. Didn't? It's interesting. As a, as an author, I realize you know it's kind of the maxim: never ask your friends or family what they think of your work because it'll always be positive. You really <laughs> yes. need to go to people who are outside of your circle, those who don't have a personal relationship with you, to get some honest uh, constructive criticism. Yeah. So, uh, that, that happened, uh, maybe four, three or four months later, I got some really, it was painful at the time, uh, negative reviews from, uh, basically people who read my book and, and said, you know, this and this and the other. So I decided on my own, okay, I need to, I need to redesign the cover and I need to do a, a, a really kind of an overhaul of the content, um, inside to make it easier to read more interesting for people to read. And so I did that. I made the second edition that was in the summer of 2016. Mm. And yeah, so that, that's where I got the new cover. You know, so I I commissioned a a cover designer. I uh, uh, commissioned an editor, you know, to kind of go over everything. Um, I also did a little bit of shuffling around, you know, reordering some of the conversations, uh, doing some more editing because one of the things about emails that people don't spell things correctly. And when I, when I discussed with my brother about editing the book, he said, okay, how deeply should I cut into this? Because some of this grammar is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So my initial idea was, I want this to be like raw. I want this to be like, you know, you have the misspellings in there. Or you have this, or you have that. I really want it to feel like you're eavesdropping on somebody's email. Yeah. And he said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. And, I'm, and I realized that was a mistake. Um, mm-hmm. One of my One of my negative reviews said, this is not like classified government documents. It doesn't have to be exactly word for word, punctuation for punctuation, accurate. You know, if somebody says something awkward, you should have the editor, you know, kind of clean up a little bit. So at least it is understandable what, uh, you know, the other person is saying. Yeah. And the second editor that I hired, he said that. He mentioned that, you know, for the most part, Ahmed, your responses are very, you know, well put together. You know, you're a good writer. But a lot of the, confer- a lot of the visitors that you're conversing with, the correspondents, um, I mean, they, they cross the entire spectrum from well-spoken to pretty bad you know? And so I, I fixed on that. And also, um, some of the, 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 my own wording, I also cleaned that up and that's, that was kind of all on my own. So when I republished the book, the the second edition, and then I did the second, the third and the fourth book that, that basically I took the template that my brother had made and then just updated it with the new content. I went through the emails myself and, and kind of, you know, kind of with my, now that I had all the feedback, the, the negative feedback, but it's constructive feedback, right? You know, people You know, one of the things that, as an engineer, I'm always hearing is that you know it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil, right? This is so. As an engineer, I'm always called on. Hey, can you fix this? Hey, can you fix that? Hey, can you fix that? And if nobody asks me to fix something, it ain't gonna get fixed. And so the negative feedback that an author gets is actually more valuable than the positive. And I think that's part of the learning process that you have to be willing to go through the the you know the first hump of negative feedback until. You address those issues and then hopefully, you know, God willing, you get nothing but positive feedback after that, which mm-hmm. I think I've done a bit of that. I still get a few negative reviews here or there, uh, but that's usually from people who uh, don't even agree with the concept or the, the, the uh, motivation for me writing my book.
0: Yeah. But then that's fine there because no, I think it's impossible to get 100 people who would agree with you 100% of the time.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I, I totally agree with that. And in fact, I remember I was, you know, kind of going through the different, uh, you know, self-published, uh, blogs and they said, Hey, you know, don't feel bad about negative reviews. Look, JK Rowley, she has these negative reviews, like one-star reviews. And it's like, okay, if JK Rowley can't get a hundred percent, you know, approval rating, you know, who am I to try to even, you know, think exactly. about that. Yes.
0: Exactly. Oh, wow. It's been an absolute pleasure, um, chatting with you and just sort of learning how you got to where um you are your story has definitely been quite uh it's been interesting to listen to um but we've come to that time of day where i've got to go and pick up the little human from nursery so i've got to kick you out of the virtue cafe um okay. but before i do that before i do that if anyone wants to connect with you how can they do that are you on twitter
1: uh, i am not on twitter but i am on facebook and i have also have a website so the um the, the website is Net, So there you can uh, either subscribe to my newsletter or you can read the blog or you can, you know, there's a contact button if you just want to shoot me an email. That's, that is one way of connecting to me. The Facebook page is called Islam 101 Boston. So that's three words, Islam then one-on-one space and then Boston. And that's where uh, basically all of my class updates are posted as well as some of the um, events that, uh, you know, that the local events that I do, whether it's a speaking engagement or giving a sermon, or if there's a, uh, you know, like a food pantry or, or a, uh, a food drive or Habitat for Humanity that we're about to do, that's where they can uh, connect to me. So either Islam 101 Boston on Facebook or what would a Muslim dot net on the internet.
0: Fabulous. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, okay, so last thing, final, final last thing, right? Can you just summarize five things you want any of the listeners listening to the show to take away from, you know, the time, you know, that they have spent listening to you just really quick, five, you know, five points, you know, it could be about your book publishing process or what you've learned, you know, from speaking, like what can they use? Like, how would they, for instance, how would they gain confidence in speaking? Cause not every, not everyone can just walk up to a podium and start speaking, like, you know, do something What actionable points can they take away from listening to you?
1: Okay. So one thing that I, you know, what I really believe what, that one of God's gifts to humanity is the gift of speech. Okay. Hello. on the receiving end. That's, I think, one of the things that I remember one of my mentors mentioned that this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a good public speaker is because I really kind of put myself in the shoes of the listener and I speak to that listener. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that, you know, my my you know, it be humble. Be humble. Because many times we get blindsided by our negative emotions and then we become intolerant of any shortcomings that we see in others, but we forget to look closely at ourselves. You know, always be humble. You know, if if someone is really antagonizing you, realize that it's coming from a place of fear or anger or disappointment or concern or worry. Uh, i mean i can't tell you there's at least a half a dozen of the conversations which i had that started off very hot very hostile and by the end of the conversation you know we're like we're on speaking we're on cordial terms you know and this is very important you know be humble don't respond to negativity with more negativity absorb the negativity and then give back the positivity and eventually the person will will come around even if they don't agree with your point of view at least they will come to the point of you know, you have your way, I have my way, we can still, you know, live together under the same sky and then on the same earth. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I don't know, what else could I say? Um,
0: No, that's it. If that's, if that's all you got, um, you know, that's perfectly fine. Thank you so much. And then just to remind myself again, you said the book is called What Will the Muslim Say?
1: Yes. Perfect. What Will the Muslim Say?
0: Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, if you've been intrigued by anything Ahmed has said so far, you can go and check out his book, What Would a a Muslim Say? Um, If you've enjoyed listening to the show, this episode, please share it with everyone, you know, in your network, please subscribe to the show. And until next time, it's the Shagilala Salami show. Bye now.